This is the Chad Whittle Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. My guest is Frank Barnes. He teaches video production at Middle Tennessee State University. He's also published six textbooks and produced multiple documentaries and video productions. He's also a former co-worker of mine at News Talk 105.9 WVGA Valdosta, Georgia. And he's also a former professor of mine. Frank, as the kids say, it's been a minute. <laughs> Chad, how are you doing today? Great to hear from you as always, my friend. And boy, when you give me an introduction like that, I realize just how old I am and how many things uh, that are in our shared common history. Hope you're doing well. I am great. And you're, you're right about that. We've done a lot of things together. Uh, professor, co-worker, <laughs> Facebook friend. I mean, we've hey, done a uh, lot. Chad, I mean... You are the guy uh, that when we were doing the morning drive on News Talk 105.9 WBGA down in uh, Valdosta, I remember seeing your smiling face every weekday for uh, years as we were putting together the what the program. I mean, it's the number one News Talk program basically in South Georgia, and we were doing it together, which means that I got to see your smiling face every morning starting about 530 so, uh, yeah, I, I can tell some stories about you if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. And if you did, I would just edit that out after the interview. Understood. Fair enough. <laughs> I remember one time, and sometimes I still listen to clips of the show on YouTube. It, it, it was so fun producing that show. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun. I remember one time I overslept and someone else called me about something not even relevant about the show. And I realized, oh, it's six o'clock. I'm late. Mm-hmm. You know, waking up at five five thirty every five days a week it is it's tough. <laughs> then okay. Then you got to do then you got to do three hours of radio with a lot of energy. Yeah, and that's the thing. And let's point something out. I mean this in in all seriousness. I did incredibly little show prep for this, so I want people to know the facts on this. Uh, because I tend to wake up early anyway, and I would just come rolling in about 5.30, 5.45. Occasionally, yes, I walked in at 6, and we went live, I want to say 6.05, after the uh, top of the hour news break ended. Every time, I mean this in all sincerity, I would come walking in, whether I'm on time or a few minutes behind or whatever it was, but Chad would have a stack of papers. He, You always got there before me. You always, rarely, once or twice, I think, in a couple of years, but you're always there before me. And you would have a stack of news. So you were diligent in your research. You always had the show prep. And I'd come in. All I'd have to do is just read and sound good for a couple of hours. So you actually didn't get nearly enough credit as much as you deserve because you were the person who kept the organization running. I just came and read basically what you had already filtered out of all the sources on the Internet. So I really do appreciate everything you've done. And you're sort of the unsung hero for years and years and years on that program. And I'd love to do it again with you. Well, I appreciate that. And I remember uh, some people there, they would be mad at me and complain because I printed so much. And I told them, like, you cannot do a talk radio show without prep. This is not no. DJ on the radio on the country station where you just show up and say, that's Luke Bryan on, you know, this. you, <laughs> you got to talk for three hours. You have got to be prepared with a lot of prep. 
Yeah, and and that's the thing that, that people, and this was uh, primarily not to pick on salespeople, but salespeople would never understand that the, the work that goes into it. Look, it's it's three hours of talking, unlike other radio shows where you play music um, and you only talk for about six minutes an hour. For us, it's the opposite. In a three-hour show, we're literally talking for over two and a half hours, and it takes a lot of material. Otherwise, you're just recycling the same old stuff again and again and again. And you, you really can't do that because you're going to have listeners who stay with you from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. That, that's pretty common, actually. So you need to have a voluminous amount of paperwork. And, yes, we killed many trees. And, yes, we recycled all the paper when we were done. Don't worry about that. But, yeah, it, it takes a lot of show prep and just a whole lot of information if you're going to make it last for three hours. And we did that every day for, uh, oh, three, three and a half years, something like that. Just an incredible amount of shows. To me, I always enjoyed talk radio more than you know uh, DJing on the radio on the one of the music stations. I feel talk radio you really can be more creative with it, especially nowadays. Because oh, radio now it's just all right. That's Luke Bryan. You know uh, that's all they want you to say. Absolutely, it's sort of like when I listen at look radio as it evolves or sort of de evolves. I, I don't want to say it's getting worse, but it's getting more predictable. Where radio now, I know the songs they're going to play because they're the same songs they've been playing for the past couple of years. They might break a new artist, but look, I can, and I mean this in all honesty. I'm driving around the other day, and there's a rock station because I live in Tennessee. There's a rock station up in Nashville. I was like, okay, it's like album rock. I'll check it out. They played Hotel California by the Eagles. Guys, I've heard this one song enough in my life. I don't need to hear it anymore. I've heard Hotel California <laughs> a million times by now. You don't have to play it for me again. I get it. I know the song. Uh, the thing about talk radio that makes it so dynamic and fresh is that it changes every day. It's not the same song every day. It literally is different. You might be able to pick the topics. Like right now, I'm sure we'd be talking about COVID. We'd be talking about the upcoming election. be talking about the Supreme Court picks. You know, those are things, the elements that I know would be coming to the foreground, but how we'd cover them, what we'd say, what our feedback from our listening audience would be, it's going to change day by day, hour by hour. So I am so happy and proud to have been a part of talk radio because you're absolutely right, Chad. It is so much more dynamic. And if people have the option at home of listening to a regular, typical radio station with music, or a talk radio station, you should try the talk radio station every single time. It's going to be different, and it's going to be great. And your point about playlist, I remember when I lived in Valdosta, I'm not a country music fan, but after a while, you're burned out on the rock and the pop, and I'll turn it to the country station sometimes, and mm -hmm. there's the, the, the two stations, they were owned by the same company, one in Albany, Georgia, one in Tallahassee, one of the station's playlists, it was a little bit ahead of the other station. So they had a song that I enjoyed. I would listen to it on 100.3. Then I would change it to 94.9. I could hear it again with the same DJs. <laughs> <laughs> there is, uh, you know, there are recipes that need to be followed for uh, country and top 40 and middle of the road uh, stations. And I understand that, and I appreciate it, but I really hope that listening audiences are more sophisticated now that they say, I don't need to hear this song in. I want to try something else. Uh, go to talk radio. Get informed with the news, and because there's a lot of things happening there that are more important in your life, 
and certainly it's going to have more impact than whether you hear you know Luke Bryan or you know, again Hotel California one more time. And there's really not a slow day in talk radio. There's so much no, happening no. now. You know, it's uh, you know, right now, you know, election years are always juicy. They're always good. But even if the election wasn't going on, even if COVID wasn't going on, there's always a battle to be fought. There's always some uh, news, whether it's in entertainment news or sports news or political news. Uh, and that's just, you know, some national stuff. There's always local news that needs to be covered. And when we're in, again, Valdosta, Georgia, it's not a big enough town to have its own news stations on the television because you have uh, stringers coming in from Albany or Tallahassee, uh, and they're covering Valdosta the best they can, but it's not their primary focus. So when we were covering Valdosta, we were the local news source because there was no other game in town. And it really is a dynamic thing to listen to and go, here's how I'm going to keep up the speed on things and, you know, sit, you know, sit at home, eat breakfast, and I'll listen to the radio and I'll know what's going on. And that's kind of a vital role, and I wish that everyone would take part in that. So you've done a lot of talk radio in your uh, career, radio, a lot of radio, not just talk. Also, you've done journalism. You have a lot of teaching experience. But you also, and this is really, and I love talking about talk radio and radio, but the reason I really want to talk to you today is your experiences in producing documentaries. Because you have produced sure. a lot of documentaries, I believe around 12 documentaries, and that's really cool. Uh, what made you interested in you. producing documentaries? Well, uh, well, thank you, and I appreciate the question, because here's the thing, and uh, I would have to do the math. I know I've produced at least a dozen, and I've probably worked on another 30 or 40 or 50 easily. I've, I've never sat down and counted the, but the fun thing is, uh, there, there's a parallel there between talk radio and between documentaries. And the parallel, as I see it, is this. You're telling the story because the story is what you're telling to engage the audience in talk radio. And documentary is a natural extension of that. So whenever I make a documentary, I go in and say, what kind of story do I want to tell? And what's the best angle for doing that? And all the technical considerations that I look at, like uh, what sort of camera am I using, what sort of filters, uh, what sort of lighting, you know, what sort of mood, that is honestly secondary because I've shot with some great equipment. I've shot with some lousy equipment, but it always comes back to the story. And when you circle back to here's the story I want to tell, then the technical considerations come into play. And, you know, that's we just finished a documentary um, a few months ago. It's called The Old Wood of Aviemore, and I uh, I did this with my wife, Marie. So Marie and I went over to Scotland, and it's about a guy who does a sculpture park. And his name is Frank Bruce, and he's passed away a few years ago. But he, did, he carved all these massive sculptures, and they're all made out of wood. And he said, don't restore these. Let these rot and decay and fall back into the earth like a big circle of life kind of thing. And that's what's going on right now. So we want to preserve that. And the whole thing about telling that story is how do you do something with someone who's passed on who said, whatever you do, don't try to save my wooden sculptures. I want them to decay as they would naturally. And so uh, the documentary is called The Old Wood of Aviemore, and it's gone out uh, kind of all over the place now. And we've had a lot of success with that because 
it's not because we shot it. It's not because we got drone footage. It's not because we had superior audio. It's simply because you have to know what story you're going to identify with and what story you want to tell the audience. And the topics for your documentaries are so diverse. Uh, You've produced documentaries about families in war-torn El Salvador, about the native bread of Ireland. How do you find your topics for your documentaries? (laughs) They're so diverse. I I love that topic, and I'll say this in all honesty. I've never found a topic. The topic has always found me, and I mean that because there's – you know, it, it's a very subjective thing. Whenever you aim the camera at one thing, you're effectively aiming it away from from everything else. So what is the story that you want to tell? And my first, I don't want to say big documentary, but this is probably the first big documentary I did, was for the National Science Foundation. I was down in a boat off of Antarctica, and it was a research ship from uh, Columbia University, and they're doing, it's called bathymetric research, which means... Basically, they're doing soundings of what the substrata of the ocean floor was like, what it was composed of. And that was the whole thing. And they looked at me and said, can you do an hour-long documentary, make this interesting for high school students? To which I said, sure, I'll give that a shot. And that was the story. You know, find, you know, try to humanize the experience that the scientists have. And I didn't really expect, I never was a child and woke up and said, I want to go down to Antarctica, or I want to go to Russia, or I want to flying helicopters over, you know, wherever and shoot down on things and say, I'll get this angle, then I'll do some scuba diving, shoot these underwater things. That was never the plan. It just sort of evolved because you would literally see it on the internet, you'd see it in the newspaper or magazine, and you just do the old, oh, that sounds cool. I've never actively looked for a story. The stories all just always just seem to be there. I just hadn't noticed them yet. And as soon as I see him, I go, that's the one I want to latch on to. I want to devote the next three months, six months, 12 months of my life telling that story. So you got to be selective and a little bit picky because they're time consuming and they can't be expensive. And, you know, it takes time, takes energy, takes effort, the whole bit. But at the end, just make sure you're telling the story that you always want to tell. Of the documentaries that you've, and again, you said you've done probably produced or helped, you know, co-producer around 30. Of all the ones that you've been a part of, which one has been the most challenging to produce? Oh, boy. Uh, The most challenging to produce would have been the one in Antarctica, simply because at the time, it was, uh, we shot this on, I want to say it was Super VHS tape. And... Anytime that you shoot on videotape or film, which I've never had to shoot on film, thank goodness, uh, as far as documentaries go. But if you ever shoot on videotape, uh, videotape is finicky. It's really fussy with temperature. You can damage it quite easily, and it can uh, slip or it can wrinkle, and it's just a nightmare. So I want to say the documentaries have actually gotten easier now that the technology's gotten better. So when uh, Marie and I, when we go shoot now, all of our gear basically fits into something that's a large suitcase. When I went to Antarctica, we had nine cases of get nine large trunks of gear. It was a massive undertaking. So that was the hardest one. I was also in my twenties at the time. Now it seems that the gear has gotten better and I'm just more familiar with it. So it just seems to get not, not easier, but 
when the technical elements are not as challenging, you can focus more on what you want to do. Because, look, I know right now I can pick up a camera, aim it at something. If it's digital, even if I screw it up, if I get the lighting wrong, the color temperature wrong, you know what? I can fix that in post-production. I can tweak that. Couldn't do that before with videotape, not nearly as well. So we take the technical headaches out. The creative process really jumps to the foreground. So I don't want to say it's gotten easier, but I'll say the challenges on the technical side have been removed a great deal. Well, now if you have an iPhone, that's, you, you have really great quality video on your iPhone now, which is amazing compared to the phones we had a decade ago. It's almost cheating. I cannot believe the resolution and the storage capacity. It's in your phone. Look, I'm, I'm talking on my phone right now. As soon as I'm done, yeah, I could go out and shoot a story in the backyard if I wanted to. It's amazing what the technology has done just uh, just in the past few decades, which is why now, and uh, Chad, you know this, you're in higher education as well. The one thing that is really difficult to accept now is excuses from students when they say they can't get the gear out, it's not going to work. Guys, it's so much easier now than it was just 10, 20 years ago, and it's only going to get better. And, yeah, I'm, I'm fully ready for people to start shooting almost exclusively on their phones. We're not there yet, but when we get there, I'm not going to be terribly surprised. The technology's better now compared to when I was in your class. And that's not long, yeah. that's 2007, 2008. I remember we had, back then, those big suitcase cases you had to carry around with the camera. Now, you know, you strap it on your, your shoulder, <laughs> the little camera, and it's better quality. Oh, right. And, and there's a software we're looking at now, and this is just a, a real quick example where you can tie, uh, you, you have four people with their cell phones. They go out together, and you have one software app that one person controls as the director. The other three people go out with their cell phones, and they turn on the camera function. Basically, now the fourth person who's the director, their cell phone becomes the switcher, and they can say camera one, camera two, camera three. They're really saying phone one, phone two, phone three. You can now do multi-camera studio type productions without a studio and even without cameras that are connected. They can all be run through a software app now, which is a fascinating turn of events. It's just now making it to the forefront. And I'm really excited about what this means for basically just future productions when all of your cell phones now can talk with one another, just like you're tied together in a studio environment. It's amazing stuff going on. That is, uh, that is so cool. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. I love it. That's so yeah, amazing. I love it. it, it, it it's a neat trick. And the, the only difficulty right now is getting uh, students to – the students want to use it. It's a matter of doing it with social distancing and COVID because, again, they can't be physically close. So synchronizing phones and all that, there's a proximity effect. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those invaluable tools that we're now starting to use, and the results have been nothing short of fantastic. That's amazing. And Oh, yes. The technology, it just continues to improve. We, we just bought a TV for the living room, and we discuss all these different brands and the, the, the name brand TVs, and we decided, you know what? We, we could spend hundreds of dollars on a TV or spend less 
and still have a TV for a couple of years because five years, this TV we have now is going to be outdated anyways. So why go spend all that mm-hmm. money? And the quality name brand lower tier is pretty s- similar to one another. So yeah, mm-hmm. we're like, let's save some money. Let's buy this brand, not one of these name brand TVs. It's going to be outdated in a couple of years anyways. Well, it, you bring up a great point, Chad, because there are, look, you'll have, and, and Christmas is coming up, and when Christmas is coming up, of course, you have the buying season. People talk about the new TVs with the ULZ resolution and the 20K, 8K, 5 gig. Look, it's kind of irrelevant because the technology is improving to the point that you can't really discern a difference with the human eye. So let's be honest. When you go in and look at a $3,000 TV versus right now a $500 TV, you probably can't tell too much of a difference as far as, uh, oh, these blacks are more saturated. Really? Is that a $2,500 difference? Is it that big of a deal? Most people can't tell. I can't tell. I just know what a good image looks like. And so, yes, the resolution is better, but the last time a huge advance was made with televisions, there have been a couple. One, you added sound. With or I mean that was movies, but then it's like you got away from black and white. You went from four by three to sixteen by nine aspect ratio. Um, now you're just sort of tweaking it, but the human eyeball can only see so much difference. So you're at the point of diminishing returns. They're going to TVs are going to get better and better, but for us at home, eh, just means they're going to get cheaper and cheaper. You're absolutely right, and. You're, you're right. I cannot tell the difference between the TV we have now and the more expensive one. It looks, it all looks clear to me. And I yeah. feel great <laughs> that I've saved all this money by not spending a lot on a name brand. This brand looks just as, looks fine. Looks great. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'll, I'll say this, Chad. I don't know what kind of television your mom and dad had. I don't know what kind of television your grandparents had. Your TV TV is better than the one that they ever owned. It just is. The technology, it's gotten foolproof at this point. So, and, you know, I guess your kids might have better TVs than what you're going to have. But I don't know. I'm pretty happy with the one we've got right now. So I'm not going to complain. It's so funny to look back now at TV shows from the 90s. And we thought, oh, this is great picture quality. This analog TV is such great picture. It's so clear. <laughs> yeah, it, it's gotten better. And now when you have the ability to watch a pretty good image on your phone, you can watch a good show on your phone. Okay, I know it's not high resolution. It's not high quality. But you can definitely watch something that's pretty decent on your phone with a two and a half to three inch diagonal. Come on, the technology is really good right now. Never complain about how bad your TV looks because it's so much better than it was 20 years ago. I love TV. I've got plans every weekend. My wife knows Saturday, it's college football day for Chad. He's he's busy. He's going to be in front of the TV mm-hmm. watching some yep. college football. But unfortunately, football season is not forever. I wish mm-hmm. we had it 12 months out of the year, but we don't. This right. year we're lucky to have it at all. Uh, yeah, but I'll when the season, yeah, when the season is over though, and I love documentaries, by the way, I love watching them, yours and and others as well. You learn so much from them as opposed to some pop culture type shows, some sitcom. I mean, I, those are fun to watch, but sometimes you want to learn something too. 
So your current documentary you're working on is The Balloon Man. And yeah. a couple of months from now, I look forward to sitting down and watching this on the big screen. <laughs> but I don't know much about it. What is this documentary, your current one, what is it about? Well, we have a couple of uh, things we're juggling right now. So, uh, so I'll tell you about the projects because I'm not quite sure which one's going to come out just yet uh, or next because there was a funding opportunity for a different program uh, that might be coming through. Uh, the Balloon Man specifically, it's about about a guy named, uh, his name's Doc. And what Doc does is that he is one of these people who makes balloon art, as in balloon sculptures. He calls it sculpted air. And he makes these, um, I, I think I first, one of the first things I ever saw of Doc, and he's based in uh, Ohio, is he built a giraffe and he put it in the mall, and is the mall in uh, Charleston, West Virginia, and he builds a giraffe out of balloons, and this giraffe was, I think it was 70 feet tall, and it was made entirely out of balloons, and not big balloons, just regular-sized balloons like what you'd buy at, say, Dollar General or Hobby Lobby or whatever. And he is a guy who just knows how to tie a bunch of balloons together and make it look like a different image. And that's fascinating stuff. And there's only a few dozen people on the planet who can do it. And few of them actually do it well. He's one of the top level people that do this. So this is a project we've been shooting off and on for four years uh, because there's so much cool stuff that this guy is pulling off. And so we would like to go ahead and give that one a shot. It's sort of next in the wheelhouse and we're now trying to get documentaries that are like uplifting and happy and uh, just make you feel good about, hey, yeah, that's something I didn't know that could be done. And I didn't know you could take 18,000 balloons, time together, and make it a big giraffe. But that's exactly what the documentary is. And so hopefully um, that one's going to be coming out uh, fairly soon. If not, another documentary or two might jump in there. But uh, Balloon Man is definitely on the short list right now. Well, I'm glad to hear you want to produce positive documentaries. There's enough negativity, especially in 2020 and on Twitter. So, oh yeah, uh, I, I, I I can't. There are some things I can't watch. A lot of things I won't watch uh, just because. Listen, I don't want to say that entertainment has to be a form of escapism because you know I've been in news. I I know what news is, and I get that. But at some point, I do want to be able to take a mental break and just enjoy. Uh, some good news. And so when something comes up and, you know, like a guy ties balloons or like they're, uh, you know, if there's a, a sculpture garden someplace that needs to be highlighted, needs some beautiful videography or whatever, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Uh, there's just some stories that, again, you want to tell and you feel like the world would be a little bit better if people knew about these things. Now, because you're not busy enough teaching, producing documentaries, you recently started a podcast with your wife. Tell me about your podcast. Oh, Chad, <laughs> I appreciate you asking about this because uh, this podcast has actually become one of my favorite headaches ever. Um, it's called Voca Vacay, and we came up with the idea because Marie and I, um, I don't want to say we're expert world travelers. We've never said we're experts at this, and that's key because other travel people will come on and say we are the you know bona fide experts. No, no one's an expert in travel, so let's not pretend. Instead, let's just sort of enjoy and share what we do. And uh, Boca Vacay, uh, what we're doing is that we're the podcast has started, 
And it basically, it's Marie and I just talking about some of the things we've done. Uh, the last episode, which I believe we just came out last Thursday, is about truffle hunting in France because we've gone to the south of France and we were very fortunate to find a place that was a truffle farm. And you could go root around for truffles with them. They'd take you on the tour and they'd feed you truffles. And it was an amazing experience. That's the sort of thing that we want people to take a part of in, in their lives and just say, if you're going to be on vacation, we want you to vacation smart. Don't feel like you have to go to, if you're going to France, you must go to Paris. You must go to the Louvre. You must go to the Eiffel Tower. You must do that. No one said that. Go off the beaten path a little bit. And with a little bit of knowledge, which we hope to pass along, hopefully you'll have a little bit of a better time, a more rewarding experience. Because I've been to Paris. I've done a lot of, oh, I've seen the sites. But the biggest memory I have had is going to an obscure little farm in Provence in southern France and digging for truffles. One of the coolest days of my life. So Boca Vacay, we come out every two weeks. And we say, we'll see you in a fortnight because traditionally you're supposed to get two weeks of vacation a year. So every two weeks come for the new episode and we put it on and it's on all the usual, you know, it's on everywhere you can find a podcast, Boca Vacay, you know, we're probably there by now. Uh, it, it's also one of those fun experiences where you get feedback on Facebook or Twitter. Um, I found out the other day that we have listeners in Nepal and uh, the Philippines now because we keep it's one of those fun little things you get to add countries as you find out people are listening to you. I thought, wow, we have a listener in Nepal. That is so cool. I was like, wow, we have listeners in India or Bangladesh or whatever. It's like when you start adding these countries and getting that exposure, it really is a cool feeling that you just see, hey, you know what? Going out, enjoying a vacation is sort of a universal appeal. And that's what Marie and I are really trying to target. It's just people having fun with a podcast and just enjoying what's out there that they could possibly take part in. Yeah, podcasting's fun. I, I feel oh, I feel in in a way it's an extension of radio, but it's also it's on medium as well. Oh, absolutely. And the good thing about podcasting is that if you're a listener, you can actually hone in. You can target what you want because there are podcasts dedicated to sports. There's podcasts dedicated to you know travel and vacation, which is what Voca Vacay is. There are podcasts dedicated to automotive, uh, to NASCAR, to you know the weather. Anything you can think of a podcast or any subject, it's out there. You just have to look for it. And I'm very happy with the variety of podcasts. And when people think there's so many podcasts, no, 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 no. There, there's ample podcasts as long as there's something out there if you're just clicking through and go, this is what I want to listen to. This is the tone I want. This is how much time I can listen to it today. And this is sort of a topic that speaks to me. I say the more the merrier. I think the podcasts are incredibly viable. They're a lot of fun to do. And uh, Chad, I really appreciate you because you have basically shown how podcasts, you're leading the way in sort of getting information out there to people. And I love how professional your podcast sounds. And I wish that more people just sort of go, wow, podcast, that is actually a really neat alternative for when you're driving around or just sitting at home cooking dinner or something. Uh, instead of just having some background noise on, put on a podcast and just try to learn something new. You'd be amazed what's out there. Absolutely. We travel somewhere, we put on a podcast. Sometimes it's a fun one. Sometimes it's educational. It's just, I love the variety. It's, it's, uh, you know, it really is like Netflix for audio. You just pick your topic and 
there's countless number of podcasts to listen to on that topic. Of course, you got the big name podcasts like Joe Rogan, but I found that some of these more obscure, those that are not produced by corporations, by big podcasting companies, some of them are just as interesting, maybe more interesting than some of the well-produced ones by these companies. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the one thing I would encourage everyone to do is that if you find a podcast that you like, and I mean this in all seriousness, if you find a podcast that you like, uh, find them on Facebook because everyone's on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever now, but you can communicate with these guys. Just send a quick email, a quick message to the uh, podcaster and just say, hey, I really like your show on this. And it will be amazing to them. Uh, one of our p- first podcasts was on uh, skydiving because we went skydiving once we told about the experience. And I remember just the middle of the night going, oh, man, it was a rough day. And I happened to check my Facebook messages. And there was someone, I think, in Mississippi, never met this person, don't know who this guy is. But he said, hey, I really saw that. I listened to it. It sounds like I had a lot of fun. Thanks for sharing. If you are a listener of podcasts, you have no idea what that little bit of feedback can do for someone who's producing a podcast because no one is really in this for the money or the fame. I mean, that that would all be nice and well and good, but basically, we do this because it's fun and we like telling these stories. If you just have some one person out there say, you know what, I really appreciate what you're doing. That was great. That means so much to the podcaster. So uh, you know, just telling people out there right now, if they hear someone they like, send them a note. That would mean the world to whoever that, you know, y- you may never listen to them again. They might be, you know, doing something else that week, but just reaching out that one little note is huge for a podcast because really at the end of the day, a lot of times that's all we're really working for. Right. And that feedback, it really does it makes you feel good and it makes you feel like, okay, I'm not wasting my time. People like the show. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, again, I, I go back to, wow, there's someone in Nepal listened to me. And then we found out the next day, it's like, actually, like six people listened to you. It's like, in Nepal? <laughs> that is, and just go, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, you know, sometimes you just get the most, you know, when you're having a lousy day and you find out that someone on the other side of the planet actually heard your voice talking about your trip to you know monaco or whatever it's like wow you listen to that thanks i really appreciate it so yeah the feedback is uh and here's the, even negative i don't say negative feedback is good but at least when there's feedback positive is definitely preferred but even if there's negative stuff at least you know that someone's listening you're connecting with someone at some level and uh, you know hopefully you'll keep doing what you're doing definitely it doesn't cost a lot of money so why not keep doing it it's fun. You enjoy it. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, we're going to, you know, Marie and I were uh, thinking this morning about what our next, because po- we shoot a podcast every two weeks, and this is our off week. So basically, this is the week where we start putting ideas together. And uh, so we're actually looking forward to next Sunday about what our next topic is going to be. And it, it's sort of a relaxing thing. I know some people do it every day. We just can't do that. But I love the idea of being able to just, again, go back a story and say, I hope you like it. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to make a ton of money off of this, but there's a personal fulfillment that comes with producing a quality product. I think that's what all the podcasters want to do. I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, Well, Frank, unfortunately, we got to let you go. But 
I got one more question for you before I let you go. And this, of course. this is uh, back to your documentaries. So okay. here it is. If you could produce a documentary on any topic, on any topic, the budget, not a concern. What's that topic? Honestly, and this would be a personal, that's an excellent question. And it's something I've never really thought about because there's so many good ideas there. What I would like to do is produce a documentary about my grandparents who came over from Ukraine. Uh, they come, they came over from Ukraine, uh, the turn of the previous century. And you talk about, you know, immigrants coming in and going through Ellis Island and all that. That's exactly what my grandparents did. And they were trying to avoid some serious regional conflict that happened at the time. If I could do anything, uh, no budget, I'd love to go to Ukraine, back to my ancestral homeland, which I've never been to, um, and just sort of, you know, see what stories there are there, see if I could track some sort of genealogy with my family and, and tell the story about why people were leaving that part of the world and, you know, immigrating over to America back in the 1890s and 1910s. Um, what was the situation like? And hopefully find some, you know, sort of for a, pers for a personal viewpoint for me, I'd like to see where I came from and hopefully find a story worthy of other people watching as well. That sounds like that would be a really cool documentary and great for you too to go learn more about your family as well. So win-win. I, I would love to do it. Yeah, uh, win-win. I would love to do it. And and if I if it was ever a possibility, I would jump at that and I would drop everything else and put them on the bench and say, this goes to the front of the line. Uh, will it ever happen? I don't know. We were planning to go to Ukraine at some point, but then COVID happened. So I don't know if we'll ever get the documentary done, but once I get over there uh, in a year or two and take a look around, hopefully we can pull some things together. So we'll we'll see on that one, but... You heard it here first. If we get it done, Chad, yes. I'm still in the beans to you first just because we go way back, and I got to tell you, I'm motivated to get this one done. Well, I really hope that that happens sometime soon. I appreciate that. All right, Frank, it's been really fun speaking with you for 40 minutes almost, and it's not via text message back and forth. It's actually with our human voices, not on Facebook. This has been great. <laughs> It's been a long time since we've done this. Well, Chad, don't don't be a stranger, and uh, I won't be a stranger to you. Obviously, you know where to find me. I know where to find you. Yeah, let's keep in touch because, uh, as we all know from podcasting and uh, networking and journalism and everything else, and just media overall, guys, it's a very small world out there. And uh, stay in touch with quality people. And Chad, I, I love staying in touch with you, and uh, I will be uh, keeping tabs on your future successes because I'm sure you have a whole lot more in store. Subscribe to Frank's podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. VocaVacay.com is where you need to go to learn more about his podcast. Until next time, I'm Chad Whittle. Stay safe and keep downloading great podcasts like this one and Frank's. Subscribe to the Chad Whittle podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in or listen at chadwhittle.com. The Chad Whittle Podcast with Chad Whittle. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.